0: Profit is not a mission, it's the fuel. That's right. I'm going to say that quote again. Profit is not a mission, it's the fuel. This begins the conversation with our next guest, who talks to us today about thinking about your business strategy in a new and unique way, not the way most of us think about strategy and how strategy is a dirty word for organizations. So sit back, take a listen as we talk business strategy and perspective with today's guest, Christine Grandell. Welcome to the Founders Place Podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Will. Todd Will. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Very excited to have Christine on. She has her own organization. She writes for Forbes, Huffington Post, CMS Wire. She has been there, done that, and her focus is all on the idea of perspective and business strategy. Now, most of us say we have a strategy, which is... Let's sit down and talk about what we're going to do for the next six months. But that is not a strategy. She really talks about the methods of strategic planning, the importance of it, the transparency of it, and how to really go through and make sure that you as an organization all know what you're doing. You're singing out of the same playbook, but you also know what your goals and objectives are. And it's often not the thing you think it is. So if you want a master class on developing a strategy, whether it's a marketer, whether you're a COO, you're a CEO, CFO, throw a C in front of it, she's got a way to figure it out. So let's talk business strategy with Christine. Christine, we're gonna start you like everybody else. Who are you and why the heck are you here?
1: Ah, well, first of all, thank you, Todd. It is a pleasure to have this conversation with you. My name is Christine Crandall. I am with New Business Strategies, and we have been in business for 30 years, working with over 100 companies in three continents, helping them with market strategy, in essence, really looking around the the corner and reading the tea leaves and helping them exploit those opportunities. So... um, it's kind of what
0: we do. Perfect. Well, in addition to that, because you're super humble, you've also written for Forbes and CMS Wire and Huffington. You're very vocal in your uh, views and perspectives. You frequently share those. You take what you're learning from customers and clients, and you put that out there in the world. You've been a CMO, a board advisor, been there, done that. You've, you've got a really storied career, and I'm, I'm very excited to have you on the call today. So, I think the first thing to start off is let's talk strategy. Uh, I think this is one where, look, marketing is just about driving leads, right? That's all marketing does. It's It's just leads, right?
1: Well, I mean, that's an improvement because it used to be that the only thing marketing did was actually pick colors and have events.
0: Totally
1: awesome parties go to marketing. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and um, this, this whole issue with strategy is, is a pendulum, right? And I've been in the, the business world now for, you know, 25, 30 years. And when times are really bad, and the the economy is bad or markets are disrupting, everybody's like, oh, God, we need a strategic plan, right? We We need to understand what's around the corner, what are the emerging trends, how does that map to our differentiators and our strengths, you know, what are our customers doing, and we need a plan, right? When times are good, right, revenue is rolling along, the economy is booming, then strategy takes this back seat. It's, a lot, it's an awful lot like marketing data, right? Nobody, It's not sexy. It's a hard job. Nobody's going to get a promotion. Um, and this pendulum swings back and forth. And so what happens with these with companies, and it doesn't matter whether you're in fintech or you're in high tech or you're in higher ed, What happens with these companies is they go through these cycles, right? So you have this volatility and performance, and sometimes the death happens, and sometimes people get a clue when they actually um, are able to grow. Um, And the core behind this is strategy. So when we look at strategy, and it's an often overused word, right? And mm-hmm. it means lots of different things. I have right. a strategy for going down to the farmer's market. No, you don't. You know, you, you actually have a tactic. Um, so when we look at strategy, right, it's mission, It's which is why do we exist? And it's not because it's here to make a profit. We're actually existing for a purpose, right? It could mm-hmm. be to build a healthy company or it is to enable, you know, um, somebody else to do something in the world to achieve their objective. You're there for a mission. Profit is not a mission. Profit is the fuel to enable that. You have goals. Goals are multiple years, right? They span multiple years. They don't change every year. You're only going to have like five of them, no more. And then you have objectives which are measurable and time bound. And this is where most companies sort of kind of fall down on that and then you've got strategies and tactics and so when it, when you look at strategy right in that framework right the the idea is to is to not sit down and say in one weekend in an off-site that's typically booze-filled and say you know what is it we're going to do next year it really is to say much more strategically what's happening in my marketplace right if I'm in big data right or if I'm in spatial Um, visual technology then I need to look 20 years down that road and that's the time horizon or ten years down that road that's the time horizon in which you're going to start to see emerging trends in the case of big data we were just talking about digital agriculture big data is a huge driver in the transformation that's happening in digital agriculture also called ag tech Um, it's so you have to look down the road And you have to look at what are my customers doing, right? What are they saying? What is their definition of value? How are they evolving? I'll give you a a classic example. This is something that's 10 years out, but it's starting to happen today. Urban mobility, we get into cars and we drive. Well, if you're in San Pablo, you don't. You know what you do? You go and you actually do an Uber by um, helicopter, literally. Hmm. So Instead of sitting in traffic for two and a half hours, right? You get on a helicopter, you and like four other people or five other people, it looks like a cab, and you're going to pay 70 bucks to go 10 minutes because you're there. And you skip the traffic, right? Um, totally, totally resonates with the millennial environment, with the millennial community because it's actually greener to go do that than to go sit in your car, right? So you have to look 10 years down the road. Is our flying helicopters going to become standard next year? No. By 2030? Absolutely. So look 10 years down the road and then figure out, how am I going to get there? And so when I look at strategy and in the companies we work with, it it takes a mindset shift to understand that this isn't about next quarter's earnings, or it's not about what I'm going to do this year, or what's my bonus this year, or gee, let me build an app so I can have it as an exit strategy to sell it to Google. That, you know, that is not a business strategy. It really is about how am I going to run this business, right? And how am I, how am I going to be smart? And how am I going to be agile so that I'm there before it and I'm actually driving that marketplace instead of reacting? So we're, you know, right now we're in the reaction mode. If you want to see what's driving marketplace, and let's take the, you know, the helicopters um, as as an example, You take a look at what you know, Airbus is doing with Boom, and you look at what Sikorsky is doing. I mean, they're in it for long hauls, right? Um, and there are other, lots of other examples in other industries that aren't, maybe aren't quite as glamorous as helicopters. <laughs> but it's there. The key is you have to plan. If you don't plan, how do you know where you're going to go? How do you know if you got there? How, if you, how do you know if you're going to fall off a cliff? Yeah. Strategic planning is critical.
0: So, wow, there's there's a lot there. So, one, that was a great opening salvo. Like, I love this idea of strategy and talking about strategy and thinking about strategy. And I'm going to take us back to the very beginning. You know, your your little quip about um, going to the farmer's market, right? That's not a strategy. That's tactics. Um, I think one of the things that, and, and I've heard a couple of people talk about this, uh, the CMO of Rambus, Jerome Nadal, He talks a lot about scarcity and abundance, and he talks about the modeling for both of those. And you touched on it and really talked about this. When when things are lean, right, when things are hard, strategy then becomes almost a tactic of risk aversion. How do we go in and minimize our risk to make sure that our limited resources are being used in the right way? And how do I avoid that monster that's around the corner? When it's abundant, right? Well, people don't think about strategy. Strategy is just a drain on your resources. Strategy is just a drain on the organization. There's a plethora of money just laying around on the floor. Let's go run around and pick it up. And so the, the idea of strategy changes, as you were talking about. It's also unfortunate, though, because strategy should be being used when it's abundant to help you figure out how to go in and do that effectively and how to grow for the long term. So I love your views on this idea of thinking about this as a 10-year business, a 20-year business. I had the opportunity to hear Jack Ma come in and talk, and he talked about building a 100-year organization, one that will outlive his lifetime. Whether you like him or not, whether you think he's good or bad, he's got this vision of an organization that will live well beyond his meaningful years. And so I like your idea of thinking about this strategically and thinking about this for the long haul. Okay, so now, let's say people are on board and they're like, okay, I I get it. Strategy, we should do it. How do they start going about it? Like, what does that actually look like? It's one thing to say I want a strategy. It's another thing to actually do it and invest in it and believe in it and believe in it for the long haul.
1: You know, that's a really great question, and it's a really great place to start the conversation. Um, And let me... If I may do a bit of context sharing here, just so that we, you know, we kind of get um, terms straight, right? So I talked earlier about mission goals, objectives, and strategies, right? So let's keep that in mind, right? Strategies are measurable and time down. And there are kind of three types of strategy, right? Uh, Three types of methodologies for strategies, and this is not... Um, and they have been around, right? They have been around for a long time. That doesn't mean that um, for that doesn't mean that they're old, and so we want to toss them out, you know, and replace it with bee hags. Which don't get me started on that thing. But oh
0: no, we're going to talk about bee hags. Oh, no, don't worry. You're going to you make me.
1: You're going to make me go do that. Oh, are. oh yep. Oh, that's awful. Um, <laughs> So when you look at strategy, there are three ways. One is top-down. You know, that's one in many organizations exists, right, especially um, in organizations that are at a, what I call it the adolescent stage, right? They, um, the founder is now the CEO. He may or may not have been replaced. Um, and, you know, the, the executive team comes in. And it's like, this is what we all went off on an offside, and we all did this analysis, and this is what we're going to do. boom, right? You know, it's mandated from on high. And it could be a year, it could be three years, whatever. Um, another model is bottoms up. You know, this typically happens in very broad organizations that are highly diverse, where you've got a mix of cultures and the informal organization, because we all have informal cultures. Um, you know, that are much more powerful than the official formal culture. And the informal culture says, we need to veer to the right, right? You know, that's also known as politics, right? You know, the, organiz- the role of politics in an organization is to veer it and to vector it towards change. Um, and um, sometimes it runs them up. But anyway, so it's this bottoms up. We all get together. We think we ought to go do A, B, and C, and we present it on high and sort of see what happens, right? In most cases, it gets shot down. And then there is participative. Um, and this is the approach that we take, which and, and has worked in extremely large organizations that are public traded. And actually, we're in the middle of doing it right now for my favorite nonprofit, so I have to do a pitch. It's called Downtown Streets Team. It solves homelessness. I mean, the growth is like off the scale in terms of their success, but Participa says that the management team at the top will set the goals, right? Goals are multi-year, you know, the goal is to remove barriers um, within employers and within homeless communities in order to enable homelessness to people to be sheltered and have jobs. And then what happens is those goals then become actualized or defined down the organization. So the objectives, measurable and time-bound, are set by directors, right? If the goal is we're going to remove barriers, then, okay, what's the objective for this year? The objective is to remove 2,750, actual real-life objective, barriers that could be as simple as helping somebody get a social security card to um, getting more onboarding positions um, allocated by employers within regions. And then that goes down to the next level. And the next level then says, you know, I'm managers or I'm a field caseworker and I am going to come up with strategies. Strategies are how, the big hows. And then it actually winds up trickling down to the individual. So what happens is there's these negotiations that happen between these levels right? That says, well, I don't think, you know, the, the, the director may say, I don't think 2,750 barrier removals is feasible this year. I think we only can do 1,500 because we're lacking funding, because we have, you know, we have all of these particular factors. And so they negotiate. What happens in that environment, and I'll get a little bit more into, you know, a little bit more how and how this goes, but what happens in participative Is something that doesn't happen in the other modes and what typically doesn't happen in most organizations is that there is what I call dot connecting I you know lowly schmuck down in the middle of an organization in marketing or in customer service or in maintenance I'm the janitor right Mm -hmm. I typically have no idea how I fit into this organization. What objectives can, or strategies, can I actually realize? What objectives and strategies guide my life or my, my working life? And and does it set, and what are the framework for the decision? Because typically in most organizations, and you've been in this, Todd, where you're basically said, okay, it's a year, write up your KPIs, what you're going to do, and you're like, eh. you know (laughs) I don't know what's the revenue this year so this takes all that away so it aligns every level of the organization to the business the impact of that is that this organization goes from being hierarchical or being very flat or being you know um, in pods or however structured they're all aligned and they start to behave like schools of fish if you ever watch fish It changes direction almost instantaneously. But it only happens through synchronization of who is doing what all the way up and down the chain. Uh, Right. So, so let's keep this as a backdrop. It has worked when we've worked done it with a three billion dollar REIT. It's worked with a publicly traded company to basically double their stock price, and it's going to enable Downtown Streets team to go from fourteen cities. In one state, to 26 cities in three states, it works, right? Because people people are aligned, right? They know what their job is. Everybody knows what they're supposed to do, and it's measurable. And there's none of this, you know, nonsense that goes on. Um, but core behind that. The other side of this is is what the core strategic team needs to go do, whether, and again, it's regardless of organization size, is you need to look down the road, right? You know, you need to go and look and say what not only is happening in my world, right, if I'm in the world of, let's pick a world, um, if I'm in the world of, uh, of I've got pet. Pet hospitals. Okay, let's just. I'm like running through my class. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, okay, which one can I take here? Um, if I'm in the world of pet hospitals, right? I'm a national chain. I'm going to look at what's happening in the world of pet. Meaning, you know, are people adopting pets? Are they taking pets? What's the demographics of, you know, the treatment of pets? You know, what are the diseases that are happening in pets? And then I'm going to look at tangential markets. What's happening on the economic side, right? Do people have money for pets? You know, what is the the trend economically? Because when there is a recession, people tend to spend more on their pets and their children. It's just the way we're wired. It's what Mm -hmm. we do right and then on the other side of it i'm going to look at technology i'm going to look at customer experience technology i'm going to look at engagement technology so so you need to we need to look at those trends because it's never about that dog right it's never about what happens to that cockapoo that i'm going to go you know spend 2500 dollars for it's it's you know it really is about everything and then basically narrowing that down, or const- constilling it, I should say, into what are the major drivers going forward? And there's two sides to this, right? One is, this is a document, major drivers, this is what we think, and yes, is is it gonna be accurate? No. Um, the further out you go, the foggier it gets, kind of bit like, you know, the fog in the Bay Area, right? You know, <laughs> depending <laughs> on the time of the day. Um, but then there's one other side of this that says, I, I, as a company or an organization, am bound by my history, right? I am bound by the principles and the DNA that went into, into creating this company, right? Um, which means that when you look at companies that look to diversify dramatically um, outside of their core competencies, outside of their history, that's really, really hard. And they often yeah. fail. Is because they're bound by they're bound by their history, so you have to look at your competitors and and say what is the behavior that I'm expecting from my competitors over this time horizon of trends, and one of the best ways to do that is something what I call chessboarding. So we've all seen what a chessboard looks like. Well, imagine if you had this chessboard four by four, and it could be um markets right or it could be technology it could be innovation it could be acquisitions whatever we're actually talking to a company in finland about doing it for competitive messaging and you start plotting the movement of your of your competitors over time caveat this doesn't work if you're a startup right because you don't have enough competitive history in place it does work if you're mature and so this chessboarding enables you to see a couple of things the personality and the movement of your competitors and the movement of the market as a whole, right? Cause markets tend to move together and you'll start to see who's moving which way. And you can, with a pretty good, good degree of accuracy predict where your competitors are going to go. So that's one side of that. And then the other side of it is another thing where companies need to look at. I am going to stop here because we're getting really kind of geeky in this whole process <laughs> um, is We tend to, as human nature, we tend to only plan for what is in front of us, right? So if I am a chain of hospital, of pet care hospitals, right, I'm only going to plan for what I think is on the horizon, which is, you know, I'm going to have an older population uh, demographically, and they like their pets, preferably smaller, because they're easier to pick up, and I'm going to now plan for that, right? Well, in reality, that's not how life works, <laughs> you know? Yeah. In reality, we need to plan for four things. It's called scenario planning, right? That says you look at and say, I'm going to plan for a life as rosy, the world is wonderful, I'm going to plan for, you know, Armageddon, um, and I'm going to plan for two other quadrants, right? The trick to strategy being successful is developing strategies, again, mission, goals, objective strategies, is to develop those strategies that are common across each one of these four quadrants. Companies that do that are able to adapt and are able to actually leverage market volatility into really profitable growth because they have taken into consideration what they're going to do when life is nirvana and when life is shit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So there's a ton there. So a couple things. I'm going to take us back again to the beginning, talked about the three types of models, right? Tops down, bottoms up, and participatory, which is harder to say than you would think it should be, but it is. Um, you are an advocate of participatory, right? Because it does that dot connecting, which I love. Um, also, I loved your point of view around thinking of this holistically in terms of the approach for strategy and not just this, even what you said at the very beginning, what are we going to do this year? How are we all going to get Teslas as bonuses at the end of this year? What does that look like? So now you're starting to think about strategy and the way that strategy should be run. Okay, so let's let's change this a little bit because that sounds fantastic, And I think most organizations would say, I would love to do that. I'd love to have the resources and the team and the time and the effort and the energy. And it would be great to have somebody walk in one day and just present this to me and say, here's what you need to do. And by the way, here's what you need to do if it's Garden of Eden. Here's what you need to do if it's Armageddon. And here's what you need to do in two places in between. I think a lot of companies would look at this and go, I'm holding on by the hair of my chinny chin chin, right? I'm just getting by, I'm just scraping through. I don't have the resources, time and energy to go in and develop a strategy. Or that sounds great. Um, just like a lot of things, that's something we'll do five years from now. But right now, that's that's not important. So how do you think about companies that are in that stage? And are there sort of lighter Toe dipping, easier ways to go in and do some of this strategy, so that it doesn't become this big ardu- arduous thing that they might think it is.
1: Sure, you know, and that's what, and that's. I'm really glad you raised that point because it's really really key. You know, so I'm going to use this analogy of, of downtown streets team because um, this is it is a nonprofit, right? Um, it it is a funded nonprofit, but we're talking about people. I think there's maybe. 50 people. Um, and these, you know, so we're, we're thin on resources, all right, as classic nonprofits are, right? So, in, in the case of someone like that or someone who's, who's hanging on to the thread because they're running out of options, right, you're going to start to say, well, how do I actually take this down and make this simple? right? So my advice is, you know, you're not at a point, and again, this is, you know, this has to be organic, right? So you're not at a point to say, I'm going to go now and do scenario planning for quadrants. What's the common strategy, right? Because it's a ton of research to go do that. Yeah. And and maybe I don't have the wherewithal to go and say, I'm going to go now and do all this forward analysis of the trends in the next 20 years and dissect it and, and, and come out with, you know, pattern matching, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, In that thing when we strip out for the for the small organizations, we strip it all the way out and and narrow it down to really a very clear process that says and it actually doesn't take time because we do it over a series of workshops, over a period of time, usually over lunch. Food is this magical attractant <laughs> <laughs> meeting. Um, and we start parsing it out and walking people through it. So in the case of Downtown Streets team, you know, the CEO did the mission. Um, the objectives were done in a workshop. And, you know, we reiterated them a few times and while that process is a bit elongated because everybody's got their job in the end, which actually is going to happen on Friday, this, this mm-hmm. very Friday is all of the employees come together and we have all of their their dot connecting, right? All mm-hmm. of their, we call them KPIs. You know, you keep other people call them other things. Um, and now we're at that point where we now start to share. And so you're going to, the focus is let's walk crawl, walk, run, let's institutionalize this process into the DNA of an organization by making it easier out of the get-go by stripping off a lot of this research, right? The behavior change, at least in, in smaller organizations, by understanding that, hey, I'm going to be transparent, I'm going to be accountable, right? I know that's a very scary word. It goes along with the word commitment. Everybody starts to freak out. Um, you know, I'm going to be accountable and I am going to think through what's best for this company in the context of what the customer wants, in the context of market drivers. And so that takes all this noise out and you're really just focusing on how do I get everybody on the same page? How do I understand where everybody, every employee's head and heart is And how do I then get them aligned and move forward? You know, so we, you know, that's a simple way of starting it with, and then you can layer it on over, you know, over time as you have more resources, but something magical happens in organizations, whether it's Great Places to Work Institute, which we have done this for, or whether it's, you know, you know, super large organizations, something magical happens when all of a sudden I, every employee can sit there and say, oh, those are the objectives. Oh, I have a voice in what I'm going to do and I'm going to stand up and I'm going to be transparently accountable for doing A, B, and C because it contributes to the subjective, right? right? Behind the scenes we do all this rationalization to make sure all, all the strategies add up and all the KPIs add up. But that change in an organization alone, what you know, is dramatic. In terms of its impact and the ability for an organization to execute, whether it's literally on its last gasp and dying for VC funding, or it's afloat up to its teeth in water, uh, nice. revenue.
0: One of the best things about being on C-Suite Radio is our sponsors. It's those people who come in and say, we believe so much in foundersplace.com that we are going to put money, time, effort, and energy behind it and help make this thing go and grow. So if you believe in what we're doing here with Founders Place, please take a listen to one of our valuable sponsors now. Thank you for taking a listen. That's the thing that keeps us in business. And so back to business with Christine Grendel so i got the i got the the float reference and we're we're there so um the thing that i heard that was really interesting and i'll I'll call it the acronym tact right transparent accountability and customer driven so those are those are easy to say transparent sure right what i hear most leaders say though is we'll be transparent up to the point that we're not Mm -hmm. right so i'll be transparent at some point transparency becomes uncomfortable and i'm probably not going to be transparent there but on the, on the surface stuff, sure, we'll be transparent. So that, one, that one's a challenge, right? The accountability, so I love that you said commitment, right? Same thing. Accountability becomes a real challenge for organizations because no one wants to put their sort of necks on the line. It's someone else's problem or someone else's thing. So now when you say accountability, well, that permeates the entire organization. There's your dot connecting. The customer-driven one, though, is really hard. And here's where I i've run into this and seen this play out i've seen this record play over and over and over again it's almost ignoring the data of the customer because the ego gets in the way and says but i know best i know this market better i know what people want better uh steve jobs did this i can do this too i can tell people what they should want and they'll go along with it and so this idea of the customer wants something. Again, that the, the one we even use in the book is, and we've heard this one a lot. It's a, um, it's a solution in search of a problem, right? You've created something. Now you're going to try and find the marketplace for it. So getting people on board with a customer piece is really hard because again, ego gets in the way. I know better than anyone else. I created this thing. Don't tell me what the customer wants. I'll tell you what the customer wants. And so how do you work through Again, transparency, accountability, and customer-driven in organizations, primarily when there's deep emotions involved involved in each three of those levers.
1: Right, um, and that's very you know that's very insightful of you to share that because it's extremely true. You know, the other
0: side. I'm of- an insightful guy. So <laughs> let's just let's just establish that for the record.
1: <laughs> okay, Mr. Insightful Guy. <laughs> um, the flip side of of, of ego is fear. Right. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I, I always say, you know, even though my background is in finance and, uh, you know, have done a lot of work on my doctorate, you know, I really thought if I were going to um, be born again, okay, I would become a psychologist, a psychiatrist, because uh, I spend most of my time, you know, in people's heads. Um Because the flip side of it is fear, right? And so we need to understand human behavior because human we are not rational individuals. I don't care what you know Adam Smith said or anybody else. You know we are not rational, so we need to understand the irrationality of and those emotional triggers. So I want to talk about transparency, and you're absolutely right. You know, and and this is again, this is the ego and the fear. These are the the two sides of the same coin, and it, it is. It permeated in our culture that if you are a CEO or you've got some long lofty title that you're supposed to know everything, right? You know, you're, yeah. you're, you're in that slot because you have been endowed with knowledge and insight that's far superior of everybody else that's underneath you, which is in essence, not the case. Um, um so it requires, you know, it requires sharing. So I'm going to give you two examples. Let's go back to Downtown Street's team because, again, it's, it's probably the, the most stripped-down version. of, of yeah. doing. The transparency says, you know, every, every employee has gone in and defined, defined their KPIs. They call them KPIs. Um, that says, this is the dot connecting, right? Those KPIs, and we told them out of the box, right? Those KPIs will be made public, right? Meaning that you either can post them on the drive, you know, there's lots of ways of actually going and doing it. But this notion about d- d- being transparent is that I am going to share, right? In other organizations that we've worked with, worked with, where we've had a little bit more time, you know, we've actually had sessions brown where people will stand up, and present their KPIs. This is not for the rest of the organization to say, oh, well, you know, Jane, we can't do that, I, you know, or Phil, I disagree with that. It's to say, ah, Maybe I can help this individual. Ah, we're working on the same thing but from two different angles. Maybe we should team up, right? So this notion about changing the mindset away from I'm going to hoard it because I have fear that I'm going to be ridiculed in this organization or I'm going to be bullied or I'm going to be ostracized to being I'm going to be open and I'm going to be vulnerable in the interest of collaboration and moving forward. The other behavior that the other example I want to give you is is someone that I have a tremendous amount of respect for is a a serial CEO called Ken Klein. Um, I've done a video with him on how to not hire jerks. (laughs) It's a really fun piece. Um, But what Ken did, which struck me, is that he had, you know, the classic fishbowl office. Every day he would come in. He's a very, very insightful individual. Um, And he would write his to-dos, you know, on this glass wall everyone to see. Now, granted, you're not going to write in there. I'm going to do a 20% riff, right? Yeah. Or, you know, but you're going to write in there. I need to go find a five million dollar line of credit, right? And so it, 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 you know, there's nothing that says we can't be that transparent. Other than it's, it's overcoming that fear. If I know, again, if I the, you know, the receptionist knows that my CEO is going to look for five million dollar line of credit. You know, my cousin works at Silicon Valley Bank. Maybe I ought to just, you know, say something. I, you that Those things don't happen with everybody's like, you know, I'm perfect. I'm perfect. I'm cool. I'm good. I'm a dude. I'm, <laughs> cool, I'm broke. You know, it doesn't happen in that environment. So accountability goes to transparency. So in our process of accountability, we call we have quarterly reviews. In this methodology, they're called potions. Say um, because Hoshin, S-O, sorry, (laughs) Um, H-O-S-H-I-N is an adaptation to the methodology that has been created by the Japanese many, many years ago. So therefore, they deserve credit for it. Uh, And what Hoshin is a quarterly call out that says, when I look at the company objectives, measurable and time bound, right? And I look at individual KPIs for that quarter, I either did it red light, uh, green light, or I didn't do it, red light. There is no yellow, right? You know, the yellow is like maybe. It doesn't mean go faster through the, through, through the red light. It means maybe, right? So there's no yellow, red light, green light. Um, and so at the end of every quarter, we actually get all hands and we actually present it. So we present the aggregate objectives, red light, green light. And with it comes the explanation, why did we achieve it? which is oftentimes companies never ask that question uh, because, God forbid, we really actually want to know. Um, Or why did we not achieve it, which is what everybody zeroes in on, which creates the fear, right? So if we understand why we achieved this objective, we achieved it because, you know, the stars aligned and we got freaking lucky, right? Or, you know, we were right. We understood what our customer wanted and we understood how to do that that product market fit and it worked or it didn't or and how we didn't why we didn't achieve it we didn't achieve it because we lost that big deal right so we couldn't fund it so let's be clear right let's be clear why we did this for everybody um and then it goes down to the individual level again depending upon the organization right and the culture of the organization i've had clients where every quarter the employees within their teams will actually do a call out this is my red light. This is my green light for what my KPIs are, and this is why I achieved it, and this is why I didn't achieve it. And so you hear stories about I achieved this because I worked sixty hours a week. I can't do this next quarter. It's killing me. Right. So yeah. so you start to uns to surface the the hmm. real issues that drive the organization, not that fluffy crap that you know that everybody um uh, shares with so that's accountability you know and let me tell you out of the box and i i see this every single time as soon as we start to introduce this people self will self-select themselves out and that's fine because those are folks that don't buy into this that don't want to be accountable i call them seat warmers you know they come in and they warm the seat very nice and cozy all day long but you know where's you know where's the beef Um, And so they will select themselves out. And that's fine. That's fine. It happens. It's better that way. It's better for everybody involved. So we enable them to depart with grace and with respect and dignity. So that's the accountability side, right? And it works. all of a sudden, everybody gets zero-lasered and and focused on their KPIs and all this noise about bullshit and the politics and also the crap that goes on an organization starts to dissipate ever so much because Mm -hmm. you don't have time for it you don't have time to plot how you're going to do you know joe in because you're looking at your kpis going crap i'm behind schedule um and so then the third point is customer driven right in the case of ken klein what ken did which i thought was absolutely remarkable is that he had his key strategic customers Joined with him on a quarterly basis and they talked about the business. Did they have stock in this business? No, they were customers. Right. And he was saying, this is what we're thinking about doing in terms of fundraising. This is what we're thinking about doing in terms of the product. What do you think? We call this co-creation, right? And it takes, it takes courage. It takes, it takes Congress to do this. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. It's really <laughs> scary. Um, but you know, it, it, part of it is bring your customers in um, uh, let me see DHL does this quite a bit on the co-creation for innovation right they bring their customers in and so it's actually having that customer's voice the 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 beef that I have with the whole customer experience thing and and I'm in this as well but it is that we don't listen to the customers right you know we think we're going to plan the journey for the customers and then we wonder why it doesn't work um, is and again it's that flip side of ego and fear The fear is if I ask my customer what they want, I am just going to get, you know, reamed out. Well, uh, nine times out of ten, that's not the case. Nine times out of ten, that customer really wants to help you. But people don't know how to have those conversations, right? So it has to happen at all levels um, and have that as being a primary input. And again, it has to be the strategic customers from which you wish to get your revenue in the future, right? You know, so let's be really clear on who we're talking to.
0: Well, and, and that last point in particular around the, the customer experience and, and getting the voice of the customer in there. I mean, that's that's actually what I've been doing with the consulting business and how I've been working with my clients is helping them understand their, their strategic direction by getting it through the lens of what their customer really wants and what their customer is really looking for. And I think what I found was that customers Companies drift over time. They start with a direction. Then they start to hear a few things from some customers and they add on some features. Well, that feature serves as a rudder for where the direction of the company goes. And so now the product is leading the company. You don't have a strategy and suddenly you're heading sort of due north. And the next thing you know, you wake up and you find that you're kind of northwest right? North by Northwest, you're going in a slightly different direction. It's been gradual. You've suddenly ended up in this place and then you're disconnected from your customer. And so this opportunity to sit down and true up with what is it your customer's really looking for? What does the market really want? Are you drifting away from that? Are you heading toward it? What's the direction you should be going and how do you then true that up? That's where I've spent a lot of my time talking to customers. And so we resonate on the same types of things. Okay. So before I forget, and I know you're not going to like this. And I apologize up front, but let's talk, let's talk BHAGs, Oh. You, I know, I know you had such a strong reaction to that term. So we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but I'd love to get your, what's your problem with hags? I think I know the answer, but let's hear it.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to throw OKRs into that mix. Sure. Um, so, explain
0: OKRs for people that don't know the acronym. Um,
1: you know, it's... Um, objective key, I, I you know it's I had such a revulsion when I read it in the Harvard <laughs> Business Review. But I can't even tell you what it stands for. Um, I can what, tell you what, what it does, it and I yeah. can tell you that I just like I just like lit up and said I need to go I need to go to the gym because <laughs> I'm just going to be glued. Um, so let's start off the BHAG right yeah. in 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 pop culture. It sounds it makes sense, right? You know, B is big, hairy, audacious goal. Yeah, you know, I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm an entrepreneur or I'm a new CEO or I'm a new VP of marketing or I'm, you know, I'm a new product manager. I got this big, hairy, audacious goal. I'm going to go change the world. You know, that is fine as a motivator, right? That is fine as This is, you know, my North Star or my Rosetta Stone. This is where we're going to go. We're just going to change the world, right? And I've seen CEOs. um, There's a CEO who's phenomenal with this, and his name is Peter Jackson, um, of just using it as a motivating factor. BHAGs are not operational, right? That says, if my goal is I'm going to change the future of work, which is basically what Peter Jackson is doing right now, Mm -hmm. you know, you're like, "Uh, uh, okay, where's the – We're 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 to plan, okay? Right. Um, It is not a planning methodology, right? It is simply a motivating tool. It's a poster for all intents and purposes. And so companies, you know, you, you and again, this is the lazy part of organizations. Um, and you can be an entrepreneur working 80 hours a week and you still can be lazy because you're not focused on the right things. Um, and this is where, well, I, my goal is I'm going to change the world or my goal is I'm going to, you know, redefine the future of work. But unless you have an operationalized strategy that says who's going to do what by when you ain't going to get there. Right. And so this is my issue with BHAGs. And so I hear venture capitalists start talking about it. And I'm like, oh, man, dude, are you serious? Do you limited partners know that you're talking about this? You're crazy. You know, because it's there's no there there. It's just a motivational point. Um, and OKRs and what OKRs do is collapse um, in this in the planning process is collapsing KPIs with the, the, the process of um in the participative planning process of of we use of strategies and tactics and the idea is well we're going to short circuit the whole process we're just going to collapse them together and we're going to say you know these are kind of my kpis these are my big initiatives that i'm going to go do well and i'm like wait a minute you know your kpis enable the realization of your initiatives you can't just collapse these things together and just call it a day right because the frame isn't there So, um, and this is, this is, you know, this is what I call the short circuiting that happens when we are flush with revenue and we are flush with, you know, with opportunities. I don't know who it was, but somebody says, you know, revenue, um, hides many ills and it's very, very true. Right. (laughs) Um, so we have to be very careful that, uh, of taking something that just comes out in, in pop media, or even if it's in an esteemed magazine, such as the Harvard Business Review, which is very good, and just say, you know, wait a minute, time out. Let me think about this. And let me think about how I would operationalize this. And does this actually make sense for my organization?
0: Well, and I love the thing you were talking about with the the BHAGs in particular, because I do hear, and I see this as It moves from motivator, right? The poster that you have up with right next to it is the kitten hanging from a tree that says, hang in there, right? (laughs) Your BHAG should be right next to that. Um, It moves from that to the, almost like the goals and objectives for the organization for the year. And it becomes this thing where people say, well, we should go hit our BHAG. Okay, great. Again, I love your point of let's make this a motivator. Let's make this the thing that you want to do when you wake up in the morning. I want to change the world. I want to change this piece of the world. I want to change people's perspective on this piece of the world. But what you really should be doing are what are the tactics that go into those things and what's measurable, time bound, and what's our objectives based on those. And I think that's the step that gets skipped with most people in most organizations. They just throw out this BHAG and they're like, okay, go get that. And, and then people flounder, right, trying to find their way to that. And everyone has a different way of doing it. And so now you've got, instead of an organization moving like that school of fish, you've got different people moving in different directions, bumping into each other, trying to figure out how to get to that beehive.
1: Todd, you nailed it. You, you absolutely nailed it. And, and you know, the thing is, it's, it's sort of, you know, Companies can avoid this, you know, it's this is not, they can avoid getting in, getting in front of themselves and tripping over themselves by just stepping back and saying, let's have a little bit of structure when we look at the future, right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be a lot of structure, right? But let's have a little bit of structure. And it's okay. You know, there... There's a whole other psychological thing that sits underneath it because you know hags are just you know great and they're they're vague and and they're you know aspirational and they're wonderful and then we get into this whole thing where we have a culture now where accountability and transparency and all of that stuff is is um, is a challenge within our within our corporate cultures, right? It, it comes from um years of of not having very strong leaders i mean when i started my career and i'm sure with you as well you know you we were in organizations where you were taught to hire how to fire you know how to plan how to, you know you, we were we were taught how to do these things right that doesn't exist in organizations nowadays whether they be small whether they be large um, there is this well you know if you don't know how to do something you know let's you're going to go out and look at it on google <laughs> <laughs> um, or you're going to go read the multitude of books that are printed because it's somebody's marketing technique of which some books are absolutely extraordinary. And some of them, you know, you know, could use some work. Um, and so there isn't this mechanism in place within organizations that says, I am now going to teach skills, soft skills, leadership and managerial skills to um, you know, to, to my employees as part of, building an organization you're not doing it for them in order to help their career it's a byproduct you're doing it to help and grow your organization and that doesn't exist right so so there might be some kind of leadership training and i use that word quite loosely because leadership and managing are two entirely different things um or you ship somebody off to their annual you know conference that they go to which is usually also a boondoggle in, in perfectly warm tropical places um, with nice <laughs> pools um, so, you know, we, we, we lost that. And we lost that, you know, back in um, when most of this workplace wasn't even born. We lost that back in the 90s, yeah. right? When we started, you know, going down the road that we are now.
0: So, um, so a couple of things, uh, I loved what you were saying too about how to get that information and, um, and the approach that people say, we'll go Google or just go read a book. Um, and I would be remiss without saying that the only book that you should be reading is the (laughs) book called beyond product which released on May 7th and is now available in your local favorite bookstore. Okay. So aside from the obvious plug, um, I'm going to recap a little bit about what we talked about because this, This was such a fascinating conversation. And one of the things that I was um, trying very hard to not do was to jump in because I love just giving you the runway to talk about strategy and your passion for strategy. So we started off talking about sort of the three steps, the three perspectives of strategy, right? Tops down, bottoms up, and um, help me again. Participative. Participative. That's the one that I can't say. Um, We walk through how you can develop those strategies and what that looks like And when those strategies tend to happen in the marketplace, the scarcity versus abundance modeling, I loved when you started talking about, yes, this is something that is done at mature companies, but how this can be adapted into companies that are in the more startup phase, the more entrepreneurial or founder driven companies that are coming up. And the way you looked at it was those three core elements, right? Transparency, accountability, and customer driven. And when you apply those things and you strip out all the noise, that gives you the basis for developing this going forward. And what does that look like? I love how you brought in the perspective of BHAGs and OKRs. And that is a great motivator. It's a great way to set direction. But ultimately, what you're trying to do is find things. And again, we keep coming back to the same idea of measurable and time bound. How can you come in and develop a strategy that you can actually measure and has a certain time element around it so that it doesn't become the never ending strategy. It doesn't become something that you think at the end of the year. Yeah. It kind of feels like we made it. Mm -hmm. And lastly, the one thing, and this is a little out of order, but I loved your red light, green light, because what I've seen is most organizations fall into yellow. They find comfort into yellow. They try and get the green. They can get a few of those. If they can't get the red, or if, they're, if they don't want to get the red, they go to the yellow. Well, we almost made it. We were close. These couple of things got in our way. And if you make it linear, you either made your goal or you didn't. And then you sit down and have a discussion around each of those. It helps to take the fear and the ego out of the equation and helps to give some key learnings back into the organization that they can make smarter decisions going forward. That doesn't happen when you live in yellow. Because when you live in yellow, that's the land of excuses. So I loved your point of view of making that linear, And then the last thing I think I'll sum up is your idea of allowing people to exit with grace, that as you go through this and you bring people on board, allow them to have the dignity to leave the organization and know that that's okay, because those weren't the right people to have. They may be liked and beloved. There's a, there's a great model that Jack Welsh does around how to think about people. And he says, there's the people that you like that are the, the, uh, the high performers. And those are easy ones. He's like, but there's people that you like that are low performers. Those people are hard to get rid of the people you don't like that are poor performers. They're easy to get rid of. And then he said the ones that are really tough are high performers that you don't like. And he's like, you still have to get rid of those people because what happens is they are toxic into the organization. So your approach of thinking about people as people and and letting them exit and leave the organization, bringing new people in that follow into this model was so key and I know it was just sort of a small comment you made, but it really is a thread through everything you talked about. So that's sort of my sum up. This was a fascinating conversation. I could keep you on for another hour, hour and a half, but I think we're gonna to have to wrap up here. Was there anything that we missed or anything that you wanted to close on?
1: Um, the only thing I would say is, you know, to people is is if this intrigues you, try it. Right. Yeah. It's not, you know, you're not in the ocean you're literally gonna look at a quarter cup of water and it's not scary so just <laughs> buy it. and the other is you have to buy todd's book because it's key to this process
0: of course <laughs> <laughs> oh this is why i love you we need to have you back on so you can plug my book again <laughs> thank you so much for for hopping on this is a, a topic that I think people go strategy, oh, we need strategy, we got to have strategy, but I don't think people really think about it and think about it in the right way and you've put a framework around this that Um, moves people into some tactics and direction that they can take and also demystifies it and takes some of the fear out of it. So thank you for um, sharing your wisdom and experience and bringing this on board. And and I'm so glad we got to have this conversation. So hope to have you back at another time. And, um, and I am going to ask people to follow you. What's the easiest way that people can connect with you? What's the method of, of your, um, your wisdom?
1: Um, so there's there are two ways one is Twitter I'm you know rampant on Twitter so it's at Chris C-H-R-I-S Crandall C-R-A-N-D-E-L-L okay Um, so that's easiest and the other way is you know LinkedIn is great because it leads you to all the other ways of getting a hold of me nice Google Christine Crandall
0: perfect make it easy all right Christine Crandall thank you so much for joining thank you we'll talk soon bye-bye One of the things that I love about the conversation with Christine was her idea, and I love these quotes, flip side of ego is fear. If it intrigues you, try it. Don't be scared. Now, those are simple, easy words to say, but she's talking about curiosity and intrigue. And she's talking about this idea of going in and trying and experimenting. And that's something new, unique, and interesting from someone who is a strategist, who believes in carving a path and setting a direction. She also believes in the idea of sometimes play, sometimes intrigue, sometimes curiosity, but going out and trying things. And one of the nicest things that I heard from her in particular was her ideas around how to develop goals and objectives and how to think about this as red light, green light. Screw the yellow, get rid of it. Think about things completely and entirely differently. So if you're interested in learning more from Christine, and I suggest you do, you can follow her on LinkedIn. It's Christine Crandall, that's both C's, Christine Crandall. Or you can follow her on Twitter, and it's just Chris Crandall, because she wants to make things complicated. And if you're interested, we have more coming up in our series of CMOs, a few more on the way, and then we will move right into our C-suite, that's right, CEO-level conversations with five or six amazing CEOs on deck afterwards. So CMOs, a few more weeks, and then right into CEOs. It's going to be an interesting summer on into fall. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Please subscribe, make sure you never miss a beat and subscribe on the website, foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co, the place where exceptional founders go. All right, everybody, have a great week. You've been listening to the Founders Place Podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place Podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.